to recap, um, this is Late Night Theology with Aaron and John. <laughs> In case... Mostly theology. Mostly theology. But sometimes office discussion and uh, trip fan discussion... And today we're going to be talking about unconditional election. We're going through the entirety of the TULIP acronym. Acrostic? It's acrostic. Is it? An acrostic. Is it technically is an, it an acrostic acro- and an acronym? I think. I think so. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's an acrostic acronym. I like that. Hi, and welcome to the late night English podcast. The late night English. The late night English. Uh, last week we went over total depravity, so there was that that whole thing in Genesis three where uh, you know mankind kind of took a tumble, and by took a tumble I mean <sighs> went headlong into the abyss of sin. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! And now, if you haven't concluded that by now, people, uh, there's nothing we can do for you. No, <laughs> no, I think 2020 is has been a perfect showcase of what total depravity ends up looking like. So in we read in Romans 3, 9 through 20 about how there's nobody righteous, no, not one, and then Paul just goes off on all of the things that we are, and it just shows the absolute visceral reality of the depth of our sin. Well, speak for yourself, but yeah, that's basically right. Yeah, You know, Jesus gets at this too, right? We, we talked about this last week in Luke 18, 26, 27, He gets done saying, you know, basically, if you're not as righteous as the richest man in the world, if you're not righteous like the religious people, you can't, you're not going to make it. It's impossible. And everybody just stops and listens and goes, you know, what? How how are we? How are we going to be saved here? And Jesus, oh oh yeah, you 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 can't. (laughs) You can't. God can do it, but you can't. <laughs> you can just see. Yeah, you imagine sitting there. Oh, well, good, good. <laughs> good that's, that, that's that's a very that's heartwarming and uplifting sermon, Jesus. Thank so you. If we'll, we are we'll dead, away. <laughs> he, like that's the thing. Jesus was kind of was kind of a straight shooter on that. I guess there's only one way that to do it is that because the Father raises the dead and gives them life, and so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Total yeah. depravity is just an ex. The the exploration of uh, total depravity is just showing just how dead and how radical and how ingrained sin is into us and how yes. right from birth we cannot please god the, there's absolutely nothing show. <laughs> it was it was a pretty depressing this might show. be more depressing for some people <laughs> it, it so, might this, be this show it might be but i find that like that this is this is this is where this is where Tulip starts to work its way back up because Tulip's an uphill climb that starts way down <laughs> at the bottom with total depravity and then kind of ends on a on a on a happy note with uh, perseverance or preservation of the saints. Yeah. So if That's we, true. I mean, it's it's showing that we can't turn to God. Like it says, Jesus said that you know. Hmm. Did Jesus say it? I'm about to say something. Jesus, and I'm trying to make sure that Jesus said it. The new segment on the show. Did Jesus say it with Aaron? <laughs> so 
I mean, and a lot of times you get the John three sixteen answer. Well, if God loved the world and whoever believes, you know, so all we have to do is turn to God, right? Yeah, about that. <laughs> here's the, here's the issue. We're gonna get get into this a little bit further. There's there is passages like John three sixteen, and then and then there's real awkward ones like John one. Uh, let me find it. Let me find it. John one thirteen, referring to those who become children of God, who are born not of blood, that is not by descent, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. No, what, and what 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 does that mean? Like, you know, John just lays that out there and then doesn't explain it. He's just like, oh, you got this. He's you'll, just you'll understand. Just follow along for the you know follow the wrong, along for the rest of the book. And you'll figure it out. Well, and then five chapters later in John six forty four, Jesus, he he's the great teacher, right? That everyone he's like, oh yeah, you you want you want to come to the Father? You want to be saved, or or you want to come to me to be saved? Yeah, you can't do that unless you know God wants you to. Right. <laughs> just see the people. Jesus, could could you just stop? Please, just for five minutes, I can't take anymore. I feel like that must have been like you think about people in Israel at that point. I mean, they they were all about the process of of being uh, of, of sacrifices of of living according to the law, and the law was everything to them, and especially to to the Pharisees who liked the law so much they decided to add to it. And these were yeah. people that felt that they could. They could do. They were all about doing. And then Jesus comes in and says, no, you can't do. I mean, great, great job trying, but not so much. And there was an element of grace for them, I think, you know, to be to be very, you know, fair. Mm. They they had a sense of grace. They, they were the elect people of God. God didn't need to choose them, but they were the elect people of God. Like, right. we're good. We're in. Salvation will come for us. Like, there's no way it can't. Right. And then John and Jesus come along and say, yeah, no, sorry. Try again. <laughs> you just you'd either be totally befuddled or totally enraged. I don't I don't know how you could go either way. And, and honestly, Aaron, I, th I think that's where a lot of people are today when they hear about Tulip and, and this stuff. They hear and they go, you know, I don't really get it. And then there's others that are like, you can tell they're starting to get it. And once some of that clicks, they're like, oh, absolutely not. Mm. Are you crazy? That can't be true. Right. But if you actually, that, and this was the thing that got me, was just the fact that if you follow that we are dead in our sins, then it can't be anything that we do, which then leads into unconditional election because it's not on anything we did like for for instance uh, yeah. one thing that um rc sproul used to say a lot was he made the argument that when when you gave your life to christ were and your friend didn't was were you being more were you are you more holy than them? are you smarter than them are you more intelligent why did you do the good thing yeah why did you do that? That why did you do it, and your friend didn't? Even if you're both exposed to the the same thing, and you know if you have a friend, they're very similar. Like, 
why you and not somebody else and that the by the you kind of have to work your way through it's like well no i'm not more you know not because i'm more intelligent it's not because you know i'm smarter than them it's not because i'm holier than them. and eventually you get down to the the end of the argument you're like oh oh it's not something i did and i think you know it's 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 right. effective i mean i'm not saying it's it's a perfect argument but i feel i feel it's very effective yeah, I think Tim. I I heard that argument secondhand through Tim Keller, and it was actually the argument that brought him around to unconditional election. And I think it's a good one. I I made this observation when when I was a kid. You know, we would go to those revival services, and you'd see two people go into the same service, right? Mm-hmm. Same background. It's kind of the same stage of you know life collapse. You know, my. You know, they're in the country song, you know, your woman ran away, your truck broke down and your dog just kicked the bucket or a combination thereof. You're just a country song walking you know? right in. <laughs> yeah. And they'll they'll be in the same service, hear the same words, sing the same songs. And one walks out completely unfazed, like, well, that was fun. And the other one is just sobbing just completely destroyed and then and then you realize this person is being changed and it always struck me like what what happened why this person and not that one Hmm. doesn't god want everyone to be saved doesn't doesn't god love what what is going on here right now in this situation that this person over here decides you know what this this is the truth and I have to submit to it. And the other person's like, "Yeah, I don't get it." Right. I str- I struggled with that for years, and I didn't even realize I was struggling with it until I came across, you know, Tulip and this. I'm like, "Wait a minute. This actually explains something I've seen forever and never been able to explain to myself." Right. I mean, and you can you can have very intelligent people who are, are just keep running up against the same exact arguments there. It's laid out in front of them. Everything can be, can be completely swept away uh, as clearing the path to the cross. Like you can, and once you, yeah. when you clear away all those objections and the cross is there and it's, it's beautiful and wonderful and truth. And people just look at it and go, it's going to be a no for me, dog. Yeah. I think of the I think of the Pharisees. This this is a passage that didn't hit me until a few years ago. It's out of Matthew twenty eight eleven through fifteen. The, you know they they sent a guard to guard Jesus' tomb because they were afraid the disciples were going to steal it. And then Jesus raises from the dead, right? And then the guard goes back to the religious leaders. They're like, "Look, man, it wasn't the disciples. It wasn't anybody. We have no idea what happened. He's just gone." He's gone. There was this angel thing. I, I don't know. And the Pharisees, like, they know what happened. I'm convinced they know. Because they even make up a lie and say, well, say it was the disciples anyway. Yet, they still don't believe. They still don't believe. And, and I never got it. And I, re- I read that passage, and it just hit me. I'm like, they have all the evidence in the world. They were there. They could go inspect the empty tomb anytime they wanted. They could have, you know, 
interviewed all of those witnesses, and they still refused to believe. Why? What makes it that they don't believe, and yet people in the backwoods of British Columbia, you know, who have, you know, you know they're, they're unsophisticated, they haven't seen anything. You tell them about Jesus, and they break down, and they're like, this is the truest thing I've ever heard. I have to believe. Right. They have no evidence, and they believe. And you just sit there and go, "What? what's going on? What happened? Right. Why is it that arguments and evidence don't do it? And then sometimes it happens that you're just sitting there going, how did that work? Yeah. No, and that's, in all honesty, I think that uh, we just we can't get away from this. We can't. In, no. it, at the end of the day, we cannot explain why one person is saved and another one is not because we cannot just simply chalk it up to mo- like mental assent. We can't. No. If, if, if um, the Arminian belief that the, the Holy Spirit is wooing everyone equally, it, just, it, it comes down to, it, it begins a, an effect on the sovereignty, the sovereignty of God, where it's like God is all powerful. God can do as He wishes, except for you. When I was yeah. when I was a kid, like my 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 whole thing. This is going to get into the P a little bit of of tulip. And um, when I was a kid, like I used to read the the passage about no one can take you know no one can take you out of His hands and be like, well, except for me. Right. Like just like it was the most obvious thing in the world. <laughs> Except for me, but I think that's that's like we are we're steeped in that, like especially in, um, you know, first world countries that are all about freedom, and you know all about free will. It's really hard. Like election is a hard sell. It really is because we're in, in a nutshell, it says that uh, it's not up to us. You know, you can't. Uh, I heard um, Mormonism is basically the American religion. Uh, oh, yeah. best described as the American religion because you work your way up, you earn your way up, and eventually you become God. And if we look at election, we have no part in it. We have, like, there's nothing we can do. It's the opposite. It's the exact opposite. It's like everything you have done is is for naught. Like, it, basically. It's meaningless. It, right. It's not meaningless, but, like, it doesn't, it doesn't have bearing. You, election comes in and says, look, God chose you completely independent of you and what you did, did or didn't do. His choice of you had nothing whatsoever to do with you. Hmm. And it had everything to do with him. And I think for a lot of Americans, we hear that and we go, what? Yeah. <laughs> that can't we, can't, we can't do anything about it? Like and that that was my this was my sticking point. Like I didn't really have an issue logically with the other four points, and I just kept kind of bonking against election. And it it wasn't because of, uh, you know, it, it wasn't because it didn't make sense. It wasn't because I didn't see it in the scripture. Yeah. It was because I didn't like it, and it should be different. That's I. Uh, in all honesty, looking back on it, it's like I, I don't like that, and. You know, when, when we look at scripture and there's something staring back at us, it's like, hi. And we're like, I don't like that. There's, 
<laughs> there's you we all we need to change to a lot? it happens to me so often like every single day but i think you know side side note is that i think that's why god's word is so living and active in in reading that through the power of the holy spirit and you see something and it just it grates against you because it's like it shows you yeah. clearly who you are what you're doing wrong and you're looking at it, you're like, I don't like that, and I really don't want to change. And the Holy Spirit's like, um, I'm illuminating this passage. I can't make it any clearer. I think it should be different, Holy Spirit. I need to find a different <laughs> interpretation. I'm sure it's just a matter of context, and I will figure this out eventually. The number of complaint letters Aaron has sent to St. Peter is <laughs> egregious. And when he gets to heaven, there will be a very serious discussion had about the complaint process. <laughs> yeah, Romans not. I saved that one for last, everybody, for a reason. That's, we, got, we got other passages to get we to. We have first. very many. So we start in in like in John five twenty one. It says that for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will. Now, you know, there's, there's probably more context all around that, you know, okay. we don't really have time to get into. But, I mean, if, if we look sure. at this and, and kind of take it at face value, and, and we also see, you know, all through John, very similar things, for as the father raises the dead yeah. and gives them life. And then when we're described as, you know, it, we, we saw in John 1, you know, born not of flesh, you know, but of what is it? Of water, the will of God. out of the will of God, and so yeah. we start to see all of this stuff starting to connect. That oh, oh, we're not in, we're not in control here. This is not a matter of yeah. mentally assenting, and then the Holy Spirit goes finally, and then kind of jogs in. <laughs> you know, it's not a James White argument where you get to the end and you're like, it's over. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah, I this is this is just one of a bunch of verses that we're going to go through that I know, you know, I know I read these verses as a kid and I, they never stuck out to me until I get older and then all of a sudden I'm like, "Hey, who put all these weird verses in the Bible?" <laughs> who, who did this? Because this stuff doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> like this is weird, right? So also the son gives life to whom he will. He's not there is no you in, in right. there. There's there no the son the gives son life walks. to who will be like, hey, I don't want to be dead anymore. It yeah. does no, there's there's no. nothing there. Doesn't work. The, the really big one comes in the next chapter of John, though, John 6. And this is literally just, <laughs> it's a running monologue against all forms of human pride and arrogance and thinks, yeah, total depravity doesn't apply to me because <laughs> Jesus basically doubles down through the whole chapter. It's like, yeah, you're, you're helpless. <laughs> you're done. You're done. Like he in, starts right out at like verse 29, right? Yeah. Where he does. He's like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Cut, cut. It's done. 
so, so in 29, he's like, this is the work of God. Do you believe in whom he has sent? The work of God is not you like, oh yeah, I should repent today. It's a, it's the fundamental believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And that, I think what ends up happening, and I've heard this in some conversations I've had with Arminians and, and people outside the Reformed camp, is that, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit obviously has to work on you to believe, but you still have to make that final choice. But look at what Jesus, how Jesus defines belief in verse 35. If you believe, you have eternal life. This believing here is not just a recognizing that the gospel is true. It is a, it's conversion. Hmm. That's how John sees it. And this convert this whole process for John, this isn't something you do, apparently. This is something God does. And I can just imagine, you know, again, going back, the, 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 the people listening to this going, uh, can, can you clarify? Because, like, I'd like to believe. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. How, how does this work exactly? <laughs> Is there a lottery? Do I have to put my name in? But I mean, drawn out of a hat. This, this kind of links back to our, our uh, example of the two people at the revival service where – you know, you have two people hearing the exact same thing and one is breaking down and the other one is just like, neat, uh, cool, uh, glad to be here, <laughs> neat music, I'm just going to step out now. But when you, when you look deeper into it, it's like, but, <laughs> and it's, Jesus literally says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You can have a complete... <laughs> perfect presentation of the gospel that hits every single point that is clear, concise, and precise. And there's no reason that a person listening shouldn't convert except for the fact that they see him, they see Jesus, and they don't believe. They haven't been giving something. They haven't been giving that, given that recog recognition of who God truly is. Well, then Jesus gets weird. That's in verse 36 of John 6. Then in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We just had that whole John 3.16 thing here, Jesus. You want to you wanna explain how this goes together here? Like, what's going on? I mean, let, just to be fair to people who would struggle with this, these are weird sayings. Like... Mm -hmm. If you didn't have like a bigger context, like if John six is all we had, you'd just be going, "What on earth is he talking about?" Right. <laughs> this is this is bizarre, right? Yeah, yeah. I I think I think that example going back to that is exactly right. Where because Jesus is here saying, "Some of you have seen me, you've walked with me, you talked with me, and yet you still don't believe." I think some people today, you know, they, they they have the thought, and I know I've had this thought too. You know, if I'd been back then, I'd I'd I'd, I'd believe. We have it, it we have two thousand years of hindsight, and yet we still have this this tendency for <laughs> chronological snobbery. Yeah, yeah. I I'd, I'd have believed, and yeah, I have this sneaking suspicion I would not have believed. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, you know, it's like we, we tend to think that people people were, uh, you know, gullible and, and 
you know, stupid back then and just said, Hey, this magic man just said I could get to heaven. Uh, I'm going to follow him, see where this leads. You know, people were like, look, man, if you're not going to, you know, if you're not going to help me with my crops, and if this doesn't make our wells come up a few feet, then I'm really not interested. <laughs> I'm, I'm out, man. You got to do something. <laughs> yeah. And then we, if, and he, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, he doubles down again in verses 44 and 45. 44 is really, really tough because he says, no one comes to me unless the father draws him. And we, I think we have this myth that if we just go out there and give a really good gospel presentation, people will come. Mm. And it's like, you you can give all the gospel presentations in the world. And if the father has not given them to come, they're not going to come. Right. And this is... I think that is hard for us to hear. Right. And this is where we see... I don't... I'm trying to think of, of a way to word this because... Um, I know, I know secret sensitive churches have their hearts in the right place, but this is why I feel like it's, I want to say foolish, but I, I feel like that's too harsh of a word. It's, it's not, it's not helpful to build the entire service around the unbeliever walking in. Instead, when yeah. we when we build church around who God is and and acknowledging who he is, and then we trust him, you know, when we trust him with the rest, when we acknowledge who he is in, in right. front of other people, you know, when, when we, you know, when we don't deny who Jesus is, when we don't try to soften things, like, we trust him. You know, I'm not saying that you should go up and just be an absolute jerk. No, but when we trust that no one can come to him unless the father who sent me draws him, like we don't have to, it's, it's an emotional burden off of us. Like it's not, it's, it's, it's off of our backs. It's like, we can just, we can just relax in a sense. We can look to God and be like, God, in the face of both believers and non-believers, we worship you, we look to you, we love you, and we praise you. And we don't have to worry about people going, oh, this is really weird. They're talking about blood again. This is weird. <laughs> like, that used, to, that used to bother me as a kid. It's like, all oh, this talk about blood. It's like, oh, man, people are going to come in here and think that Christianity is really weird. But, like, if you really think that, oh. if you really believe it, you trust him for that. And, and then we also see it in, yeah. in Acts 13, like finally moving out of John, because there's just so much in John that we, oh, could, yeah. we could have made this whole podcast out of John. But in Acts 13, 48, it literally says all those who are appointed, who were appointed to eternal life believed. You know what? One second. I'm going to look it up in the, uh, the good old NASB here, the literal word. Actually, wait, I have a little... This is live biblical research, folks. Live biblical. Calm. <laughs> Step away. Behind the veil. If you would, if you would like to, uh, you know. So let's see. And as many have been appointed. Let's see. Appointed. Uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Tesso. 
primarily in a military sense than generally to draw up in order, arrange in place, assign, appoint, order. That's the Greek. That's pretty clear. It's very clear. Sort of. It's very clear. You're not the one doing the appointing. No. Like, it has nothing to do with you. It's like, you know, I I don't understand how you escape that. And I'm sure there's ways to. Um, And... And again, oh, wow. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to come off as like, you know, people don't know what they're talking about. People can't read their Bibles. It's, you know, it's as plain as the nose on your face. And, but at the same time, as I look at it, and and coming from that side of things, it's just like that. That kind of slaps you in the face with appointed. Yeah, I I think. What whatever your stance on is on this doctrine, these are tough passages you're gonna have mm. to wrestle with. Absolutely. You gotta have an explanation. And I've seen a lot of interpretations of these, especially the John ones. The Reformed, I think, is the most coherent. It really is. And at least to me, um, it's not something we want to hear. No. Right. And then um, it, we can look into like we we move along into romans and paul sets down um what is known as the golden chain because he says that we know that for for the blah, 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 we know that blah, blah, and we know that for and we know that for That's those straight out of the greek folks <laughs> straight blah, 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 out of the greek in romans 828 and uh, through 30 we see and we know that those who and we know that he for the, I almost had it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, we... It's a great verse. It really is. And it also gets down to the, the issue of... Um, we get the idea of provenient grace sometimes, where people are like, oh, well, I, I believe in election, but I believe that at the beginning of time, God looked down the corridors of time to see uh, who right. would choose him and then he elected them on that basis but in the end that makes us controlling god in some fashion i as i as i looked at this verse when we were getting ready i was like you know there's a big there's a big question mark here for me because it starts with talking about those who love god and and if you caught the show last time where we're talking about total depravity that is not people whom god has not worked in Hmm. That is not the average state of people. This whole passage assumes the work of God in our heart because that's the only way you can come to a place where you love God. So I, I, I find this really fascinating. And uh, I always tied this passage back in with Jeremiah 1.5 where, you know, Jeremiah is being called as a prophet, but God talks about knowing him there too. And the knowing there is, is an intimacy. It's a, it's a, I, I know all, everything about you, everything that you're going to do, everything you will be. I know you down to the, the very core of who you are. 
and it always struck me, you know, you're talking about the prevenient grace, that that just never really explained the, the foreknowledge here, the way that God knows those who are going to be his. Mm. Because when I look at scripture, when God knows somebody like that, even if, even in passages that don't talk about this directly, like say Abraham, it's a deep knowing. God knows exactly who this person is that he's calling and where he's going to go and what he's going to do. Right. And I just find prevenient grace doesn't doesn't do it justice. No. I, I don't think. No, I, I and I would agree. I would absolutely agree. And we see even further evidence of this in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Where it talks all about this is withering. It really is like, and again, it's not. You can't really take a, a single proof text for this, and I think you'll find this no. with with uh, as we go through this entire tulip process. It's it's the body of evidence that just builds up over time, and as you read and as you you look at things, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming like in uh, the Ephesians one through uh, three through 14 is like a, a whole thing to the grace of God and how we've done nothing. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I don't, that again that that leads it not up to our will i mean again this is this is looking back at provenient grace this takes that out of our hands even more so at this point and yeah. and it continues on and it where it's it says that we've we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will again it's yeah. it's a it's it's solely focused on God doing this. And also there's um yeah. there's a uh, in the next chapter uh Ephesians 2:10. Right. Yeah. It again we are his workmanship right created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. This this goes back to that knowing God knew what he wanted us to do before we even did it. He hmm. set the course of our I think he set the course of our lives largely ahead of time in love, in grace, in mercy in Christ for his glory. It's just an incredible passage. And I think the question I, I, I've been asked and now I ask is who is doing the work here? Paul's literally laying out the course of redemption. Right. And nowhere in that, in, in this whole litany of things that have, have been done in redemption, does man do anything? It is all what God has done. And even, even in verse 8 of chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I mean, the whole thing is just laden with this, this rich, grace-filled theology that on it, I, I, I gotta be honest, if you don't see it as indicating election and, and grace of that sort, I think you rob Paul of what he's really trying to get at here. I, I'm willing to have that discussion with people, but man, this is just an incredible set of verses that 
Right. Good luck trying to argue argue through him. Paul Paul is just. And I think it, I'd give it up trying to argue with him. <laughs> right. And it effect, it ends up affecting. It it really it. On one hand, it's not it's not something that we we you know break fellowship with anybody over. But in the end, like no. if you can look at Ephesians one and be like, uh, well. I, I think I still have something to do with that. It's like it, it changes. There is a significant <laughs> there's a significant branching in how you view God. And I think that's one of the yeah. the, the major strengths of the of the reformed tradition is the fact that it gives God his due. And it doesn't it doesn't Absolutely. sugarcoat it. It's just like, okay, if the Bible says that this is all for his glory, it's all for his glory. There's no there's no wiggle room here. Right. Yeah. And again, I'm just going to keep reiterating this. We're not saying these are easy passages. No. These hurt. Like, no, especially on days where you're like, I think I'm doing pretty good today. You know, God really likes me because I did X, Y, and Z. And then you read this and you're like, well, crap. <laughs> and I think that's the beauty of it, though, is that. In force in 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 making you force in forcing you to look at what you really are and and how you really are no matter how you feel and you can on, on one hand it's like oh I can't do anything on the other hand it's like well Christ has done everything and then we look to him we look to him constantly when we don't feel like yeah. salvation is is of us and we we rest in God's sovereign grace, like that leads to a, an immense joy and, and like I've said before, an immense burden yeah. taking off you. And we're going to talk about this more toward the end, but I think election, if approached through the understanding of total depravity, and you have to go through that first for it to be correct. Otherwise, you get young, restless, reformed, and I'm going to punch your face in with how right I am. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I think it's meant to comfort the saints. I really do. And I think what ends up happening is that, again, we'll talk about this here in a second. I, I think we use it as a cudgel. Mm. <laughs> Reform people in particular. Go, go for it. Well, I've never heard of that. Absolutely. Before. Absolutely not. Uh, and, and that's not what it's meant to be at all. You know, um, no, it's, it's like uh, people hope. It's it's like best thing that uh, my sleep addled brain can come up with is it's it's like it's like it's like tossing hand lotion at somebody's head and being like, "Hey, <laughs> this stuff is great for your hands, you loser!" Like when you when you start like swinging it around like that instead of you know the comfort that it is instead of trying to show how right you are. It's like, or you could just be like, "Hey, put out your hands, try this." We could also see another um, example of when we talk about comfort, we see what the elect are being promised in Titus 1, 1 through 3, where he says that for the sake yeah. of the faith, uh, he says uh, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, yeah. which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began before the ages began, <coughs> before the ages began, Underscore. and at the let me just <laughs> emphasize, emphasize, <laughs> and at the proper time, 
manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Uh, again, before the ages, like there's the, the concept of the elect being chosen before the ages began. Well, I think that sums it up. We can yeah, go pretty home. much. Yeah, we can go home. We've solved all the questions about this. You should just yep. believe it. We really should. No, yeah. And what what's interesting about it is that Paul just drops it in there like the readers are going to read that and be like, yeah, we're, we're good with that. Yeah. We read that and go, hmm, something is amiss here. It's too what good. Are you doing, and and Paul? I think it comes, it, it's like it's like it's too good to be true. And again, it comes yeah. back to that whole American mindset of, nah. There's no such thing, you know, you, you never look, you know, look the gift horse in the mouth here. There's something off. Like, there's there's no such thing as a free meal. And I think there's this. First and second Peter open the same way, though. So it's not like it's a fluke. And it's right. not just Paul. You know, first Peter 1, 1 has the same sort of opening. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4, same sort of opening. It, where they're, they're describing their ministries. And it's all about the elect. Hmm. And you're like. This is an official challenge <clears throat> to Charles Stanley. I dare you to open a sermon by saying, I am here for one purpose, to serve God's elect people. I dare you. This is official. The gauntlet has been laid down. So Charles Stanley, if for whatever reason you're listening to this, uh, the which I'm has so been dropped, sorry sir. if you are. <laughs> What are they saying? And, and again, there's other explanations, but I think you got to you got to take a step back and go. This is something important. These guys are mentioning this fairly regularly, and they're not mentioning it like, "Hey, this is controversial." Right. It's no, no, no. they're just dropping elect predestination bonds all over the place. It's a suit. And we're just left sitting there going, "What is this? What is this? What are you doing?" Right. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure John got weirder, though, over time. Yeah, maybe a little bit when we sneak into Revelation 13 and, uh, you know, suddenly there's there's symbolism everywhere. But in the middle of all that symbolism, we still find the assumption of election where in Revelation um, 13, 8, it says that all who... Mm, hang on, am I reading this right? Yes. And all Rebecca. who... <laughs> and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has the not. What? The beast. Yes. Sorry. The beast. Yeah. Um, the, I, I forgot. Okay. Let me go. Let me go back and grab the context. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm trying to like, I tried to truncate things and then I realized, Oh, that should not be truncated. <laughs> <laughs> and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who is slain. Now, let me let me ask you something. Do you think that that's simply symbolic? Because like, I mean, we can, you know, trying to trying to get a straight thought out of out of Revelations is like trying to 
tug one piece of spaghetti and, and have the entire thing come out. Um, that's fair. Like, so do you I, think that I, this is like a, this is a case of symbolism? Like before, but at the same time, it's, it seems to be again, a concrete fact, even in the middle of all the symbolism. It's a concrete fact. And what's interesting to me is that there's a parallel here with Matthew 24, 24, which brings it into our era. If you're, if you're of a end time persuasion that this is talking about something in the future, that revelation is primarily stuff about, you know, stuff that's going to happen later than now, (laughs) not now, you know, there might be a rapture thing. If you're of that stripe, I, I can understand where you might say, look, Hey, maybe election's true, but it's only true for that time period. Except that in Matthew 24, 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples about right now. And he basically gives the same sort of warning that, listen, there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be false Christ and false prophets. And they're going to be so deceptive that if it were possible, implying that it isn't, but even the elect would be deceived. Right. Right. And to me, these, these two verses go together and you're like, there's something about the elect that is not true about the non-elect. Right. I think we could at least say that, right? And whatever it is, that happened before any of us were around, before Adam and Eve, before, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex, before all of that, however you want to date that. Wait, wait, are you uh, saying you know, election predates the dinosaurs? <sighs> Are you sure? Uh, if you're wrong, Ken uh, Ham will come through your wall like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I might. Ken Ham, I'm so, I'm so sorry, sir, but I think you're wrong. I'm so sorry. Uh, I can hear Oi, coming you're coming down. with me. To, approaching. <laughs> you're coming with me to the Creation Museum. I would like to see it. I would too. Just once. Oh. It would be fun. Although I, but we'd have I to keep a straight face big... for most of it. <laughs> I heard that on the big Noah's Ark that he built, there's a there's fire alarms, and you know, I just don't think that's a very originalist way <laughs> of building an ark. You know, <laughs> all things considered, I appreciate what can can him attempts to I do too it's he's and I feel like sometimes his earnestness can make him a fairly easy target especially for for people like me who are are nitpicky and constantly looking for the the next thing to make fun of because some of us need to repent for their nitpickiness and they don't some of us are still young reformed and obnoxious (laughs) I, I, I can't even claim the young anymore, but reformed and obnoxious. Eh, it's fine. It's close enough. There's alternative translations. Some translations have 13.8 as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which I think is an even more intriguing way of talking about it because the implication is that the sacrifice, the sacrifice was effective even before it was done. Yeah. Which just blows my mind. I remember Tim Keller being like, that just he's just like uh, I like that passage because I don't get it and it's just something you you kind of have to chew on yeah it's beautiful anyway 
Where are we? <clears throat> we are at oh, the big um, one. The big one. The big dun, one. Dun, dun, dun. Romans nine. So the first thing that we we we've you know um, we've run into a few arguments about this. Now the most uh, most yeah. often what I hear is the fact that there's. Um, so Romans nine is talking. The 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 argument goes that the Romans nine is talking about the nation of Jews. It's talking about Israel. Right. So we don't. We believe that this is referring to both Jews and Gentiles, and that it has nothing to do with elected nations. But this this is still all according to individuals. Right. And and we'll bring this up probably in a future podcast. We're just kind of sidestepping that because the amount of ink spilled on this passage. Uh, you know, it would fill the oceans, you know, threefold. I mean, yes. there's a lot here. We're just kind of going over like the very, very top layer of this and looking at the specifics of what is Paul trying to say here about the nature of election? Because what's interesting here is that he uses what I think are still questions people have about it today. And he, and he responds like this is the one place where like if you have objections to election you might actually have paul answering those he opens with saying true israelites and this is really a verses 6 through 13 true israelites are not those who have a blood connection to abraham they're those who have been chosen to believe which is you know put it in context you know, if you're a Jew and you read Romans 9, you're like, excuse me? Right. What? Absolutely not, Paul, sir. But his point, he goes back to say Isaac and Esau, and he's like, look, Isaac and Esau. You know, <laughs> Isaac and Esau did, did a lot of stuff together, I'm sure, but uh, it was really Jacob, his brother, <laughs> who, uh, who... And, and again, who this... Chosen. The argument that I, I hear often is the fact that Jacob and Esau represent nations and that they were both nations and that they were, you know, yeah. one was elect and one was not. And it just, again, it, it doesn't, like, if he had said, if he had said, say, uh, Israel, I or uh, Isaac, I have loved, and Ishmael have I hated, if he had said Better. that, if he had said that, then I think he would have a much better... Um, foundation for an argument for yeah. election based on nations. But he says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And, but and, he, he comes yeah. right back and to it. He's like, they're both circumcised. Right. They're both part of the covenant. Exactly. So why one and not the other? And usually, and if anybody has read the passages about Jacob, especially recently, the man was a total flipping loser. <laughs> like, here's a man. If if there was anybody who did not deserve act together, right? Yeah, this is not somebody that you look up to in the faith. All right, (laughs) no, no. You with that in mind while you're reading that with that in mind when he gets to fourteen through eighteen, he says, "Well, what what will we say then? Is there injustice on God's part for this?" And it's that's not fair. It's not. It's not fair at all. But and it says. By no means, or um, my favorite translation of it is, God forbid. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. 
and the, like in that a in one. a series of mic drops, this is a very loud one. This is it's so, and then it keeps going further. So then it depends not mm. on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Verse eighteen. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now look, there's a lot here that just we don't know. Mm. But what we do know is that obviously Paul thinks God has that prerogative. It's it's fine for him. He uses Pharaoh as an example, right? Where he hardens his heart. And Paul doesn't bat an eye. He's like, yeah, that's fine. Yep. God God absolutely has that right. You know, if God's that way, like and he he the the thing I love about this passage is that he predicts like it's a it's a natural progression of he says something he anticipates an argument he lays out why that argument is wrong he anticipates another argument and then he lays out yet again why that's wrong and then he says uh, you will say to me then why does he still find fault for who can resist his will but who are you are old man to answer back to god well what is molded say to its molder why have you made me like this has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. It's... It just it, it stack again. The evidence continues to stack entirely in favor of God, entirely in favor of He does this for His own good purposes, because God is good and He can't do anything wrong. He does this, and He He makes good choices. Like I think, and that's why Paul says, "Who are you to answer back to God? You are not intrinsically good." God is the yeah. ultimate good. And, it, and if God is the ultimate good, if you recognize that, that God is the ultimate good, he can only make good choices. And if election is his choice, he only makes good choices for his glory. This is still probably one of the most difficult and uncomfortable passages in all of Scripture. Very much so. I think. It's still, even for me, I read this and I go... You can like when that uh, in verse twenty when he says, "Who are you, O man, to answer back to God?" It's like the 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 hairs on the back of your neck will stand up. It's just like you feel that sense of yeah, not even I I I think helplessness is the best word to describe. It's like when I read verses like that, I thank God for grace. I thank God that yeah. He has turned me to the light and that I was helpless and He turned and because I would have. I would have no other hope. None. Yeah. So here's a here's a cheeky question for you, Aaron. <laughs> Are you saying you believe in double predestination? I believe in double double predestination is not that God elects some to salvation and then creates fresh evil in everyone else in order to make them uh, make sure that they they stay unelected. It's just right. what double what double predestination is is that we are 
those who are elect are are brought to God, are are regenerated, and are turned to Him, and and they turn to Him. In on the other side of that, it's uh, it's a what they they call a positive negative. So God creates faith in us; He does not create sin because, frankly, we're very good at that, and we are dead right. in that sin. That sin is deserving of punishment. So. One pe- one one people one one side of the coin here gets non justice, which we don't get what we deserve, but what we get has been paid for by Jesus. On the other hand, those who are in sin and do not repent of that sin are are fully guilty, and without and again it says you know why does he still find fault? Well, because you're wrong. You know, you're, you're still in sin. And at the end of the day, you deserve death for that sin. And this is why sin is so serious. Yeah. I, I might go a little further that there is a sort of confirmation that happens or, or sort of a, a, a sealing that occurs. I, in my view, that's what John's getting at with this whole sealing of the of the multitude for God and then the mark of the beast for those who follow him. Um, the issue is, I don't think we have a lot of information on it. It's not like you can go, you, you know, it's not like you could just open up the glossary and be like, hmm, could you explain this to me, please? I need a, I need a detailed, you know, bullet point, you know, in 50 pages. Mm. <laughs> this is just not there. It's not. So I, you know, I, 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 I agree. I think there is the sense in which men are condemned already. Right. Um, like, I, I think I there's a sense of, ahead. I think there's a sense of like God can, or I shouldn't say God can, God hardens people to remain in their sin. Like we saw I, that very yes. clearly with Pharaoh, yeah. where to show God's glory in releasing the Israelites God allowed Pharaoh. Right. If I remember the the passage correctly, it talks about how Pharaoh hardens his heart, and then in certain cases, God hardens his heart. God does not yeah. create fresh evil. He just says he's he is giving him up to his sin. He's giving him up to his stubbornness yeah. and his his. He's like, okay, you know, you want to go against me? You want to do this? Okay, here we go. Yeah. I, I think so, too. And that's part of Paul's point, I think, is that, you know, you have two vessels. You have the vessels of wrath, which showcase God's glory and his justice. And then you have the vessels of mercy, which showcase God's glory in his mercy and grace. Right. Um, and both of those are deliberate. It's not like people who don't believe are just out there and someday they'll be condemned, but they're not really under God's purview or control. No. I think what Paul's saying is that the whole thing is under God's purview. Right. Everything is under his sovereignty. And the reality is, is that some of that means you aren't chosen and you're okay. The other side of it though, is you're okay with it because you don't want to be right. If everything we said last time is true about the way sin works in our hearts, it's not like you're being damned against your will. It's not like God said, you know, I just didn't choose you. Tough luck. And you're you're left standing there. Please, sir, can I have some more? Right. 
like no you're you're you want to be rejected in much a sick way much like uh, election is not god make, kicking us kick, bringing us kicking and screaming to him against our will you know the um the reprobate person is not kicking and screaming into hell nice word. i think that's fair uh, i i think as difficult as this passage is it really no, it's brutal. It should make us question our. It should make us question our priorities, because Paul's priority here is very clearly the sovereign glory of God, and that God can do whatever He wants with His creation. He'll still be faithful to His own nature, but He can do whatever He wants. And if that means condemning some, and having forgiveness on others, and having made that choice ahead of time, then so be it. Right. And that's scary. Absolutely. I think that's scary for some people. But here, the, the irony is, I think for the people that that's scary for, I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think the people it's not scary for, I those are the people that it. should be worried. Right. No, and you're absolutely right. Because I feel like that is a sign of the Spirit's work in you, where you fear God. It says, you know, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. It doesn't say that the fool is concerned about the God he thinks is imaginary that's going to come and get him. And it, it again, like we, we don't know. At the end of the day, we no. don't know how God makes these decisions. And again, it kind of comes back to Romans 9.20 where he says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? You know, what will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? We don't know. Right. But what we do know of God is that he is good, he is righteous, and he has uh, – and out of that good nature, he has a, a, he has a good pleasure in what he does and whatever he – in yeah. whatever he does. So we – but we ultimately – we can't know the mind of God, but we can no. know – we can trust in the consistency of who God is. And to be fair, there have been – reform folks again to reiterate this that have taken this doctrine up as a cudgel and just beat the ever-living daylights out of their brothers and sisters in christ who don't agree with them and and what gets me is that oftentimes they it's almost like they have more information than even god does Mm. i just know why Or, or or they even come up with goofy answers as to the basis for God's choosing. Look, if anybody tells you, especially a reformed person, if a reformed person comes up and tells you, oh yeah, I know exactly why God chose some people and not others. Can I just be the first to say they're a little bit off their nut because the Bible is not explicit. It doesn't explain. We get those hints. We get those implications, but we don't know. And I think it's just pure hubris to Say that you know, and then just foolhardiness to then go and beat people up with that and think you're right. Right. It's just, it's inexcusable. And I I mean, and in this digging around to try to find the hidden will of God, it's like sometimes we have to wonder why did God reveal this? Like, this, like, again, it, it, it makes sense in my head that if I were God, I would just kind of keep this quiet up until like the last minute just so nobody panics <laughs> so yeah, don't don't talk about it <laughs> just be like this is you guys got here let me tell you something like 
you know, you would think that it would save a whole lot of argumentation and a whole lot of squabbling at this point. So, you know, what what does this actually do for somebody who's uh, convinced of total depravity and they, they see this reality? Like, what does what does unconditional election do for them? I think for somebody who is really struggling with guilt or struggling with a sense of God doesn't love me, I'm not doing enough. How could he ever love somebody like me? How can I ever be good enough? How can I ever measure up? How can I be the type of Christian even that I need to be? I think this applies to Christians just as much as non-Christians. Mm. Whatever it is, I think if you are in that spot and you're listening to this right now, I want you to know this doctrine is actually for you. Because what this doctrine says at its core is that God's love, God's mercy, God's approval of you has nothing to do with your performance Amen. or who you are or your personality or your hangups or your sin or your addictions or anything. God's approval, God's love, God's grace and forgiveness is solely and completely founded on the grace of God as expressed in the cross. And that's what you got to rest in. Right. And if, if you're if you're struggling with this, if you're worried about these things, rest in that. Use this doctrine to get you back to the cross and to realize that, you know what? It's not about me. It's totally about him. And if he says I'm good enough, then it's fine. If he says I'm okay, I'm okay. Hmm. And you can rest in that knowing it's not about what you have to do. Right. It's all about what he did for you right to me that's the key and when we look at jonah 2 9 it says that salvation belongs to the lord like that's that's his property that's this is that's that's his yeah. domain that is his jurisdiction in 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 him fencing that off that's hope for us because it's not on our shoulders it's like it is it's in his purvey it's in his domain and we leave it alone and we trust him and that deepens our trust yes. even further in him because now now salvation is no longer on our shoulders we we just look at the promises that we find in all these verses about how he's Absolutely. you know we are not brought into this because of anything we did it's and, and it's just like you said it's a marvelous hope it's it we, it, it frees us it's not a who yeah. i made it under the wire it's it's a Praise God. I don't know why you picked me, but here I am, and I'm going to give my life, like, my life is dedicated to you. And, you know, yeah. it brings, and again, here's the thing, though, is that it it should bring a sense of humility. But, uh, you know, sometimes a humble should. Calvinist is a bit of an oxymoron, because we have people who run with, they, 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 they look so much at this doctrine, and they're just like, <laughs> Well, I guess I don't have to do anything. You know, like, they're just like, well, we, we can, if salvation belongs to the Lord, why even bother with evangelism? That's, and there's this hyper-Calvinistic look at it, where it's just like, I don't. Yeah, or the evangelism. Go ahead. No. I, I was just going to say, or the evangelism they do is beating you. <laughs> Right. With the doctrine into submission. And we, you know, we, we, so they either don't evangelize or they beat you up. Right. And they're, or they're, they're so, they're so confident in, in that God will, will, you know, honor their efforts that they don't make any efforts in their efforts. 
yeah. that's where we get a lot of the cudgel use of presuppositional apologetics. But that's for another po- that's for another podcast. <laughs> it, yeah, the hyper Cal- this is this is true hyper Calvinism right here, where they take this doctrine and go, I don't need to evangelize. God will God will take care of it. And again, I think both reactions, either either the hyper-Calvinist side on the one hand or the cudgel beating on the other, I think ultimately it stems from the fact that they have not come to a place where total depravity and the understanding that we're all on an equal footing hmm. before God has really sunk in. The doctrinal correctness has sunk in, but their desperate, desperate situation before, before God hasn't sunk in it tends to pride or apathy right frankly and i think that another thing we need to realize is that god uses god if god has foreordained something he has also foreordained the means of that to come to pass and also we're commanded yeah we're commanded go into the world and make disciples he did not say you guys sit here on the bench and i got this god still uses means and we see that like you know, very clearly in, in communion, how God uses that yes. as a means of grace. And we see that in the, uh, the proper teaching of the word every Sunday that yeah. God has, you know, God uses the means of that to uplift us and to encourage us and to edify us. And in some cases yeah. kind of drag us out by our ear. So <laughs> God, and it's a mystery. It, it really it is. is. It really is. But at the, you know, everything we see in Scripture is that God still uses God involves us in this. It's kind of like it's kind of like if I if uh, I took my son out in the car and put him on my lap and let him quote unquote drive the car. Like you know, he's yeah. just like I'm driving the car. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm pushing the pedals. <laughs> I'm making sure it doesn't go off into the ditch. You're not driving Jack, but gosh, aren't you having fun? It would it it would make more sense if your son wasn't sixteen years old there. <laughs> Dad, this is a piracy. I'm teaching you to drive. <laughs> Dad, please. Family hey, we're gonna go to school. No, Dad. <laughs> when my son's sixteen, the Teslas will have taken over most of the governments. So. I don't think I have to worry about driving him anywhere. I don't have to worry about him driving anywhere. Probably not. So when we start with the T of total depravity, the U getting into unconditional election, it's not only logical, but it's essential. And this is, this is the, the yeah. progression I made um, as, I was, as I was reading through this summary. It, it ended up making a lot of sense that if we're dead in our sins – we bring nothing to the table. It's just like Jonathan Edwards said that you bring nothing to your salvation except the sin which warranted it. You know, it's something I'm butchering right. the quote, but basically that was the gist of it. We bring nothing but our sin to, to, to God. And we're like, here you go. And that's what makes, <laughs> that's what makes grace so amazing is that we, we have nothing. We have nothing. So in the end, this becomes an incredible hope and comfort to us this is going to sound harsh but i i feel the need to say this for those listening who find this doctrine just totally repugnant if this doctrine is not true 
if even like the modified Arminian view is true, I'm just going to be honest. I'm doomed. Yep. <laughs> I'm Same. out. I'll, I will see you in hell because that's where I'm going to be because I can't do it. I cannot be that faithful. I cannot be that good of a person. I just can't, I will not make it. And, and that's not to, you know, disparage the work of the Holy spirit and sanctification. That's just a real honest look at, I am not a good person right? at all. And if, if this is not completely and utterly from start to finish the work of God, if any part of it is in any way contingent upon me somehow being clever or spiritual or, or whatever, just put me in the ground. Now I get my Arminian friends. I get my Catholic friends. I get people who they hear this doctrine and you just see them recoil inside. They're just terrified of it. But I gotta tell you friends, it's the only hope I've got. And I'm going to defend it. Not only just because it's biblical, but because it is the only hope I've got. <laughs> I could not have summed it up better myself. And I'm, I'm again, we're, um, this has been the U of tulip. And next week we'll be going through the L, which is limited atonement, which is uh, generally another sticking point. But that was uh, the hard one for me. That was that is the, that is a hard one for a lot of people. It really is. So until next week, this has been late night theology. I'm Aaron, and for John, I want to say thank you very much for listening, and God bless. Not a single one of us knows what we're doing. Well, I mean, we know what we're doing. Um, we're not. We don't know what we we're don't know doing. We don't know what we're doing. But some people know what they're doing. <laughs> some people. <laughs> so, it's, it's not going to be found on this show, but maybe some other show. Somebody knows what's going on. <laughs> Future Aaron here. <laughs> what then? All right, so. Poop. Future Aaron here. Mm-hmm. I think about people sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <clears throat> future Aaron here. You think about people in. <laughs> There's probably so many, so many spots. Like when I'm editing this, so I I do like future Aaron here, and then you'll like you'll giggle, and I'll be like, I'm like people are not gonna know what that giggle is about. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It's just, it's super helpful to have. Like, you know, I started doing it as a joke, but then I realized it was actually, uh, it was actually pretty helpful. Hi, everybody. Future Aaron here. Uh, I just wanted to warn you this next clip might be a little bit loud. I got a little bit rambunctious, as I tend to do on this show quite a bit. So, uh, sorry about that. Turn it down. I was going to say, is this the part where I pull out a Mark Driscoll quote? You know, Adam. How dare you? How dare you? you? Know who you are. <laughs> uh, that, it, that's it probably getting bad. <laughs> Sorry, it's a comfort. <laughs>
We're gonna get. We're so gonna get sued. <laughs> How dare you! <laughs> We, we need a cut track on that. Just play it every once in a while. How dare you! <laughs> yeah, although, imagining you throwing hand motion at people is quite amusing, and I would pay good money to see you Just do that. Just sit in the middle of a mall motion. and toss hand motion at people <laughs> right at their heads. Hey! This is, this is gonna make your hands super soft, you moron. I think you'd get better reaction out of Walmart, to be honest. Yeah, probably. There'll be more people there than a mall. Oh, right. That's right. Uh, Malls are dead now. Silly Aaron. <laughs> so then we... Aaron we... doesn't leave the basement very often. <laughs> I don't. He hasn't been out for a while. <laughs> future Aaron. Uh, uh, future Aaron. It's somewhere around here. We'll find it in a second. <laughs> Hi, future Aaron here. Didn't find it.